Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species, bringing you animal advocacy on the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. And we have taken a few weeks off while we've got to, uh, I guess, getting towards the new business as usual, getting used to it. So we've been playing some replays the far, the, um, the last few weeks, but we're back, um, not in the studio, but we're back with a, a new show this week talking about uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 and animals. And joining me today is, well, first of all, my co-host, Adam Cardellini, who's not too far away. And yeah, welcome, Adam. Thanks. Yep. And our guest today is Corey Wren, who is on the other side of the world. Um, Whereabouts are you, Corey? I'm in Canterbury, England, which is about an hour east of London. Okay, great. So we're joined by sociologist Corey Wren, who is the chair of the American Sociological Association section on animals and society. And Corey has recently uh, put together, edited a, a section all about the coronavirus and animals, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So, yeah, I did want to as well mention that we opened up with a new introductory song. Um, we've changed it up. So our new introductory song is Animal Liberation by Los Fastidios. So hopefully people enjoyed that that new intro song. Um, and also before we get into it, I wanted to mention, um, yeah, hope we're not recording this live, but um, because we're, you know, 3CR is doing their bit to reduce the spread and flatten the curve and all that and shut down the station for now. So I'm not too sure if, if Sally did uh, out of the pan before us, but either way, I hope Sally is going well. Hopefully all the 3CR presenters and listeners are doing well. Um, but to start things off, I, I wanted to maybe we definitely the focus is going to be animals today. But I was curious, just more on a personal level for you, Corey, in a very different place in the world, what your sort of um, stage of going through this this crisis was. For me, it was kind of a an issue of would the students in China be able to get there for the semester? To we should be shutting down. To we are shutting down, etc. So, what's it been like for you as things have progressed over there in London? or in in the UK at least? Uh, Yeah, it's a little bit different here because the UK has been in the middle of some really serious industrial actions. So we were on strike in November through early December, and then we were in the middle of a uh, 14-day strike that was crossing over February and March. So actually, we weren't even holding classes, most of us, because we were on strike. And... In the last full week of strike that we had, the, the union called it off because of uh, basically the, the university was really, really slow to shut down. I mean, we were on strike. So you can imagine the university <laughs> the university had other interests in mind besides you know, the well-being of staff and students. Uh, right. It's monetary. Um, so I had actually not been on campus for some time because of the strike. So it's all it's been really chaotic in general from the academic point of view here in the U.K., um, but then we've been on lockdown now for 
I mean, officially for like three weeks. But before that, it was really, really pressured on us to stay. Boris Johnson sent us all an individual letter in the mail while he was in ICU. <laughs> it came. Um, but it's, yeah, academically speaking, it's been just really wonky because we, the whole university system in the UK has been on strike. Yeah. And what about you, Adam? Because I know you, we haven't heard from Adam. I think the last show we did just before the station shut down, I did, um, and Adam wasn't there. So I'm curious to hear you, sort of your pro, your uh, progress with this issue as well. Yeah, I suppose at, at our, our uni we've gone fully online and I, I and and that's just been that's been a fair bit of a struggle is getting everything shifting to online and and working from home um and it just seems like a lot of work i feel like i'm doing more hours now because it's easy just to get up go to the computer and sit in front of it for nine or ten hours than mm-hmm. it is when you have to break up the day you know driving to work driving home um and that that breaking the location of where i've been working ha- I now realise it's very good for me um, to sort of make sure I have home time. At mm-hmm. the moment, I'm, I'm sort of finding I'm working very late into the night mm-hmm. and um, yeah, not necessarily taking that home time as seriously, mm-hmm. um, which is a bit of a problem. Yeah. And uh, speaking of home time and, and sort of moving into the discussion around animals, I have heard that uh, some animals have, or some companion animals have been quite happy about the shutdown. I believe a dog uh, sprained their tail because I was so happy <laughs> to have their human home. And um, our dogs have been in a kind of a similar kind of position in that we basically don't leave the house except uh, walking them. Um, so, yeah, what, what about for you, Cora? I believe, I, I think I saw from your tweets you've got cats at home with you. How, how have they found this uh, shutdown? Well, one of them is just doing fine, but the other one who I've had since, I've had him for 15 and a half years. He's actually getting a little bit anxious, I think, because I'm home all day long. And mm-hmm. my workspace is actually – my kitchen blends into my living area. So he mm-hmm. will spend hours behind me just meowing. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I can't constantly feed him. And so he, you actually might hear him uh, during this podcast. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so if anyone has comments <laughs> or suggestions, <laughs> so I feel like I'm going to be here for at least another couple of months. Yeah, um, under some lockdown conditions, he's actually he's quite anxious. I'm not sure what how to soothe him. He won't. He's older, so he doesn't play. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I can't get any energy out of him, you know. Yeah, and I think like for companion animals, because you know they definitely understand some of what we say in English, but not everything. And so, yeah, I can never explain. Oh, I have to record this freedom of species show. That's why you're not getting your walk yet and stuff like that. So they kind of do rely on that routine a lot as well, which I hadn't really thought of that more negative side that had been thrown out. What about um, all your companion animals at home, Adam? I know you've got a lot. Yeah, I mean they're they're doing they're doing pretty well. They're enjoying popping up on video, a lot of the like <laughs> almost every video. There's a uh, an appearance with Luna jumping up on my lap, but um, but no, they're enjoying long walks. I think I think I'm I'm sort of walking them even more now, mm. getting longer walks because I need that time outside as well as they do. So I think they're enjoying this the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same with mine. Yeah, I've been I've been walking a bit longer as well, and taking them around the lake near our place and stuff. So yeah, they've they've been having a good time. But obviously, uh, lots of uh, yeah, both lots of animals, human and non-human, not having such a good time. Um, do you want to talk a bit about um, Corey? Um, what uh, yeah, well, what what motivated you to put out this call around um, yeah, this animals and coronavirus from um, sociologists? 
Uh, well, I mean, we don't have to get into this yet, but really what the motivation was is that um, as someone who specializes completely in the study of animals and society, you know, many sociologists kind of dabble in it because it is a, it's a highly stigmatized and in some ways career suicide. <laughs> Siobhan O'Sullivan, I'm sure you're familiar, has just put out a some research on uh, a survey of the community and found that about half of people have experienced some kind of a career barrier because of their focus on animals and society. Mm-hmm. And it's not up on the page now because I actually submitted it to Context, which is the magazine that the ASA publishes. So I have not put it up online because I'm hoping that they'll cover it. The BSA, the British Sociological Association, is going to be publishing it in their online blog. So you'll be able to see it there soon. But basically my piece uh, is titled, Is Sociology Ready to Take Animals Seriously Now?, because as this is happening, and this is, you know, I live alone and I have my two cats, but I, I just moved to this country a year ago. And when I moved here, uh, I had a roommate with me who is also American and vegan and really just the dearest, bestest friend I ever had. And when the lockdown was really imminent, she had to pack up and go back home to the United States because she wasn't a citizen. She was here on a visa and she just said, I need to go home. And it was so traumatic for me. It was so upsetting. And it was for her as well. Her boyfriend lives here. Uh, and she just kept saying, like, meat eaters did this. Meat eaters did this. <laughs> and, it's just, and it's true. It's like for vegans, we recognize fully that this is completely about our relationship with other animals, why we are in the situation in the first mm-hmm. place. And yet, and yet, the discipline of sociology, which is all about understanding social relations, social problems, social institutions, has flat out refused as a discipline to take this seriously. And how many more pandemics is it going to take? How many people have to die? How many animals have to die? How much of this environment that we live in is going to be just completely destroyed, raised to the ground before we as a discipline wake up and recognize this is an issue that is relevant, the study of animals in society. So this was my one little attempt, you know, as chair of the ASA. I will say this. I do not speak on behalf of the whole section. There are people in the section who are not vegan, who are hostile to veganism, who study animals as a purely like a kind of objective sort of thing, um, instrumental sort of way. Um, but in the past, although the section was founded by David Nybert, who's very critical and really one of my academic heroes, um, in the past, the section's been quite um, bureaucratic, a little bit wishy-washy, afraid to take stands. And I figured, you know, this is my chance, and you know, I'm going to use my platform to uh, really call attention, raise the flag about this issue because it is a crisis. And you know, I, that's why I do have to say this is not me speaking on behalf of the section. This is me speaking on behalf of myself while I have the platform for people to listen to me. Um, but the, the discipline really needs to wake up. It's too too often with sociology, we wait until it becomes a popular topic to study before we get on board with it. And that is not how science should work. That's not how sociology should work. We need to be, what's the whole point of theory? What's the whole point of science? If we're not going to be able to predict issues and be useful, if we're going to wait until after it becomes a major problem. It's the same thing with environmental sociology. It didn't get taken seriously until recently. Well, the crisis is already here with climate change. So we cannot afford as a discipline to kind of wait until it becomes cool and profitable and will get us the grant money before we actually uh, start to take it seriously, either as ourselves or amongst our colleagues who are doing that work. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. As as a you know discipline that at least should be all about social justice, we should be leading the way on these issues rather than dragging our heels. And I should as well for a bit of background. Um, I think I always forget so much, but I'm Nick Pendergrass anyway, hosting today. Um, I always forget to say that once I do everyone else. But uh, yeah, I'm a sociologist like Corey, but we've also got Adam who is in there. Physical sciences, I believe they call them. I always, I always get this wrong. But yeah, Adam, just from from your expertise in the not so social sciences, um, yeah, do you have anything to add about that? Um, yeah, this obviously all of us object to this uh, animal use and animal slaughter, even if it didn't have negative impacts on human health. But there is also this link as well. So do you want to touch on that as well, Adam? Yeah. So like from from um, my discipline's perspective, I, I look upon sociology and think oh i wish that i wish that the environmental sciences was was where you folks are in terms of animal um recognizing animals i think in conservation in particular and ecology our our understanding of animals and um is very poor and we we take large assumption assumptions about animals role in the world and how we can treat them and it's pretty it's pretty shocking um in terms of uh the current situation covid-19 it's it's even more than just it's even deeper than just um like meat eaters doing it it's actually it's our it's our even if we didn't eat meat but we still treated animals in the way that we do around environmental destruction um or uh it's the closeness that we that or the it's our it's our impost on animals and how we collect them and use them and 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 um encroach physically upon them that is really causing this issue with with um, zoonotic diseases um certainly meat eating exacerbates that a lot um but yeah we we need like animals are so central to every aspect of of our life that um yeah, we like Corey says, we need a lot more critical thinking in in this space. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not sure what more to say. I think academic academia is is really pretty poor on this point. Mm. Yeah, and um, Vegan Australia put out some good research on this. You can find it at veganaustralia.org.au, summarising some of this research on this issue of how infections come from animal sources uh, quite often. So they mentioned that according to the US Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, 75% or three in four new or emerging infectious diseases in people come from animals. Um, as Adam mentioned, these diseases are known as zoonotic diseases meaning they are transmitted from animals to people in most cases through animal agriculture or hunting and that there's all kinds of um yeah um famous academic uh, famous um or diseases or, or yeah very significant illnesses that have been linked to that um a few they gave was uh, bse or commonly known as mad cow disease hiv as well is, is um yeah has been linked to most likely eating um primate meat or bush meat for human consumption etc so yeah there are lots of these links and yeah i think there there is a lot of discussion on like you know at the moment like oh who cares about where it came from it's just about responding to it and we do have to respond but i think it is also important to look into the root causes of these issues in order for them to not happen again as well um but maybe actually now we might go to a song and then we'll get into more detail in terms of um 
Yeah, this what some people have written about this connection between animals and the coronavirus. We're going to play a song uh, all about the coronavirus, looks at the Australian government's response, uh, inadequate response from the Australian government, um, being locked down, not leave the house, etc. It's it's Briggs and Tim Minchin, and the song is House Fire Lockdown Video Hashtag Stay Home. And I do have to put in a language warning for this song. Uh, There is some swearing in this song. Hey, I mentioned... Put some clothes on. I got an idea real quick. Come, little baby, shelter from the storm. We're going viral and the fire is warm. Keep it calm, carrying on. Scotty's latest presser is depressing, so we're tuning into this approved message from the senator. Ritual, still trying to find me. Out of office message. Mahalo from Hawaii. Leadership's not really something that I'm feeling, kid. You maybe should have voted for the other guy behind me. What's the matter, little Aussie Bradley? You tired? No. Everything I own is on fire. Well, your Aussie spirit's lifted and you're still kicking on. Everything's burning. Better turn the fucking cricket on. We deserve someone who's a little bit better than it ain't no one but this nice and settled. You ain't fit to push the whip your back pedal. You ain't fit to wear the kicks that I'm threatening. It's not like I miss this nightlife So good Yes, alright If we can't start a house party Start a house fire Get it? Come little baby Shelter from the storm We're going viral And the fire is warm we good little citizens Sitting in the bunker Just watching the boss fumble Like my befuddled uncle does We're rocking the lock-in Self-intern Watching videos of Jacinda Ardern Shit Even the Kiwis aren't allowed Start a house party, start a house fire. Briggs 4 p.m. Tuck Peter Dutton if you see him. Deport this. Fuck how you feeling. Pandemic's got a reeling. People need to see you leading. Yeah, fucking footies on. Do it after the weekend. If worse comes to worse, the people come first. Yeah, but I'm gonna need a purse for the megatrust. You ain't fit, we don't get near a penny worth. You ain't fit, the leadership is getting plenty worth. When they hit the store and everything had been bored, they quarantined us all, so we're sitting there. If they're getting on board, I'm pulling this rip cord and ditching this concord and splitting like John Ford. I'm real nice, like, and it's not like I missed this nightlife. We're all good. Yes, alright. If we can't start a house party, start a house fire. Yeah, you're alright, but I'm kinda sick and tired of being inside. We're all good. Yeah, we're all smart. If we can't start a house party, start a house fire. Come, little baby, shout We're coughing up lungs and the kettle's on We already burned the world outside Start a house party, start a house fire Scotty from marketing, standing there shuffling his papers Wondering what Jesus hasn't come to save us Looking to be the dark and light, what the fuck's happening At least the ruby princess had a fucking captain On Monday the 23rd of March, 3CR closed its doors to all presenters so that we could do our bit to help stop the spread of COVID-19. We understand that it's important for people to be able to stay at home at this time in order to reduce the number of people affected and thereby reduce the stress on our health system. Since the 3CR shutdown, 
programmers and volunteers have been working remotely to create new content and produce their show from home. We'll continue to bring you dynamic, up-to-date community radio during the COVID-19 crisis, so keep listening. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. Um, you're listening to a show all about animals and coronavirus, and you might hear my dogs in the background as well. There we go, um, which is somewhat relevant, I think, when we're talking about animals and the coronavirus, doing a lot of recording, teaching, etc., from home. So, yeah, a lot more uh, animal noises from, from companions animals happening um i did want to mention as well um we played the song house fire featuring briggs and tim minchin and that song is a fundraiser for aboriginal and torres strait islanders artists and community directly affected by covid19 so basically all the money raised from that video um goes to that um that cause so just by watching it you help out a little bit um and also if you'd like to donate more you can also check out the link in the description of that video but either way it's well worth looking at the video and again look at the link and you can donate if you can so we're joined by Corey Wren who is over in the UK and we wanted to yeah go now to um, some of the key themes that were found in the um, yeah in the American Sociological Association section on animal society um, yeah section on specifically on COVID-19 so do you want to talk about anything there that um, stood out to you from the publications that are up there so far Corey? Um, yeah, so there's basically, there's three written contributions and one artistic contribution. And by the way, I welcome any sociologist who's interested. I mean, I initially, uh, invited members to do this, but if you're a sociologist and want to contribute, I'm happy to post it here. Um, but there's two in particular <clears throat> that I think are worth discussing. The first one maybe, uh, rolls off what we were just talking about. And then the other one is about, um, the U.S. relation or really the West relationship with, uh, China. Uh, not so far as, you know, the transmission of diseases, but really the transmission of food cultures and food, our food ways. Um, so I guess we could talk about that one first, and then I really would like to return to the other one where we talk a little bit more about you know, the, the process of changing our own discipline and, and kind of advancing sociology. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I think it's worth talking about with this, the, the fact that this originated in China is, you know, obviously there's a problem with racism, xenophobia, where we say, oh, you know, Chinese people and da 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 da. But this is not so much about how Chinese people interact with the animals or whatever else as far as wet markets and bush meat and things like that. I think that's relevant, but I think that the evidence is also pointing to animal agriculture in, in general as being the root cause of these zoonotic diseases in general. So COVID, of course, is only, as you were just saying, is only one of many. There are hundreds that have been identified as trans, being transmitted from animal to human. Um, but what we need to be paying attention to is that Asia, just like Africa, South America, other parts of the world that have been colonized, uh, traditionally ate very plant-based diets. And I'm not going to say that they were fully vegetarian. They certainly weren't vegan, but they were quite close to it. You know, most of the people in the world are not lactose tolerant. Most of the people of the world have had very little animal protein in their daily diet. And these are places that have survived civilizations that have survived and thrived for thousands of years. But with colonization, colonization, with westernization, globalization, we're now starting to see western cultures being uh, incorporated or encroaching or even forced upon uh, these colonized spaces now. So China, for instance, has, I think, 
has now the the largest dairy in the world. It's some kind of dairy compound where there's 25,000 dairy cows being exploited. Um, and obviously meat has, meat um, production and consumption is skyrocketing there. I think the dairy one is really fascinating. And there's a, a, a friend of mine who I think he's in he's Swedish, and he does research on dairy in China. His name is Tobias Lene. I really, really recommend his work. He's published in the Animal Studies Journal, which is um, an Australian production. But it's really fascinating uh, where he talks about how you know Asian culture has historically not really been big on dairy, but because of the legacy of colonialism, it's now associated with the West. And if you want to be progressive and strong, a strong nation, a strong culture, you start to eat like the cultures that you are you know, admiring. And why do they admire them? Because it's really been forced on them. So there's this legacy of colonialism that we have to pay attention to, to current food ways. But it's not just kind of that legacy, but it's also current post-colonial relationships or you know, where we have Western corporations forcibly entering these markets and creating uh, wants for the products that were not previously there. So here you have a population of Asian folks, most of whom cannot even digest dairy, cannot digest milk, lactose, who are purchasing, increasingly purchasing dairy products because these are products that the West has been pushing. These are products that have been glamorized because of this old colonial legacy. And now we're seeing that the meat and dairy industries are projecting a 50% growth in the next like few decades. It's an astonishing number. And so if we want to really pay attention to the, where, where are these zoonotic diseases coming from, we can't just focus on all those weird wet markets, those evil wet markets and, and all these you know, those very racialized kind of depictions of Chinese foodways. We actually need to look at Western foodways, which are being imposed in uh, these places. So I really, really enjoyed that article. It was or a piece rather from it was a graduate student, actually, who contributed that to the website. People want to check it out. She's at Northwestern University. Her name is Mary Eli. She's going to kill me. I didn't spell it right. She's Israeli. Um, but do you have any thoughts on that, about this notion of you know how we think about China and West non-West relations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, on the positive side, another thing which this article raised and others raised as well is that a lot of um, projections of China kind of assume um, the animal consumption going exponentially up, but... I guess on a more positive note, there have been um, the rise of uh, vegan movements in China and, um, yeah, greater concern for animals, those kind of things. And also, as was touched on in the article, this idea of having um, plant-based protein like soy, for example, is has been a staple um, in China for a long time as well. So there's, I guess, on a more positive note, um, I think that there, I don't think that this sort of continued uh, increased consumption in animals is inevitable. Um, and I guess just like we talk about flattening the curve of coronavirus cases, there could be that a flattening of that curve, hopefully, in, in animal consumption in China as well. Yeah, and on, on that on that sort of, um, as Corey was saying, the food ways of different different like it's not just about the foodways of China, for instance, but it's about um, the the agricultural industry as a whole. One one thing that we uh, we're talking a lot about COVID nineteen and zoonotic diseases that come to humans, but there are also like an, animal agriculture in particular is a breeding ground for diseases for the animals being bred. So they're these. They're these really sterile environments that if a particular um, disease gets in there, it, it has the opportunity to um, do very well 
because it's there's less competition within those within those sterile environments um, in those animals um, so they can spread really well they can they can evolve very quickly and and what we're seeing in um, in global animal agriculture is diseases pandemic diseases that are affecting the individuals that we that we're um, killing and consuming and, and farming so the uh, swine flu that's spreading the globe at the moment um, that's affecting millions and millions of pigs we're hearing about it a little bit in terms of um, in terms of the economic impact it's having on countries and you know millions of pigs killed in China or millions of pigs killed in Africa these sorts of these sorts of tide, uh, headlines going on but if we if we spin that and think about them as individuals and think about them being impacted in the same way that humans are right now being impacted, then it, it sort of changes that conversation. Like Corey says, it's it's a it's about these industrialized huge um, um, animal agricultural systems that are really threatening lives of not just humans. And obviously, the lives are threatened in those systems, but they're they're threatened in multiple ways. They're not just being killed for for slaughter. They're, we're also um, leading le- leaving open um, opportunities for for pandemics within those systems as well. So I don't know. They're just I don't, it's just a different different angle to the to the conversation that I suppose we're not hearing much about when we talk about zoonotic diseases. Um, but the that agricultural systems are all, also horrendous. Um, for creating diseases that that sweep through the animals that we're farming, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can sure I jump in, Nick? Has... Like, uh, yeah. To jump off to follow up with Adam, uh, there's two things I think absolutely right. We need to remember that non-human animals are individuals as well, and they really were the first ones who were suffering. I remember the very first image that I saw about COVID, where I was like, "Whoa, this is serious, and this is going to get big." As I saw the images of Chinese factory farm workers pushing herding basically pigs into a pit where they would just fall down and be suffocated alive and buried alive because they couldn't even be bothered to kill them before disposing of them. And then now if you see images from New York City, which is the epicenter now of the pandemic, and you see that human bodies are being, at least they're, you know, they're dead before they're being put under the ground, but it's a very similar image of all these kind of anonymized bodies being dumped into these large pits. It's just it's just really telling imagery. But the other thing I really want listeners to pay attention to is that, first off, I'm annoyed that we don't talk more about how animal agriculture is at this, the, the heart of this. So, for instance, I got into a debate with my supervisor, who is a really esteemed sociologist, and um, I passed him uh, when we, he was doing a grocery shop, you know, we we can't, you know, interact and all that stuff. But I saw him and I said, I saw you out grocery shopping. So, oh, yeah, I went to the butchers. I said, what do you mean eaters going to learn how many more pandemics it's going to take? <laughs> and here is someone who is, he's the head of our school. He's one of the leading sociologists in the UK saying, oh, well, we don't really know if it has anything to do with animal agriculture. It's like, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. I mean, the resistance is real. But anyway, <laughs> what really annoys me beyond that is within the animal rights community, within the animal studies community, we focus on factory farming. Well, factory farming is one way that we can accelerate this, but the fact that we are purpose breeding animals, controlling animals, it, it's not simply that we have them on the large numbers and in confinement. Obviously, that makes it easier for pandemics to form and to spread. But also, animal bodies have been genetically manipulated. That's another way that diseases can really flourish is because you have very like uh, bodies. So if you have more genetic diversity, 
it's easier for you know viruses to get stopped or whatever. But even think back to the influenza epidemic of 1918. This is the days before factory farming, and that began from uh, it was a farmer in Kansas who had ducks. And wild ducks interacted with his ducks, and then he got this. It's formed right there in his little farm in Kansas. So we need to also get away from that elf animal welfare logic that the large organizations, nonprofits like to peddle, is that this is about factory farming, not using animals at all, but just factory farming. So that way it can kind of assuage people's fears, like, oh, I'm going to have to go vegan. Yeah, you're going to have to go vegan. You're going to have to go vegan. There's no way that we can say, all right, we'll treat animals a little bit nicer or put them in bigger cages or have them in our backyard or whatever, backyard hens, whatever you want to frame it. The core problem is our oppressive relationship with non-human animals, period. We have to stop keeping them and confining them and eating them, and we have to stop purpose breeding them. We have to go vegan. That's the only solution. There is no middle ground. And I think that's what we need to be very clear about. This is a time where we have a, a, a window of opportunity. We have a window of opportunity right now where people are really paying attention to you know, what's happening with our environment, with climate change, and with this pandemic where the entire world is on hold. Now is the time for us to get real about what we need to do in order for these epidemics, these pandemics to stop happening well they're not going to obviously they're not going to get rid of them completely but we have to go vegan if we want to cut most of this down and it's not just factory farming it's our use of animals period absolutely yeah and and we see that with you know the diseases like hiv i mean everyone everyone knows what hiv is and as nick said at the start of the program likely came from from bushmeat of um of chimpanzee, I believe. So it, it really is every instance that we are encroaching right. on animals and consuming them or doing something to them is a time when we um, we are creating more opportunity for transmission. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right, Corey. Mm. And I guess also building on Corey's point as well about getting to the root of the issue rather than just sort of having a sort of a uh, half ass kind of solution. Uh, just, I guess, the idea of both for human health, um, yeah, we need to get rid of this animal agriculture and obviously, of course, for the individuals involved as well. Um, all this free-range stuff, whatever, whatever, what a humane label people to put on these things, um, individuals are still being slaughtered, being exploited, etc. So, yeah, both for human health and also for non-human animals as well. It's really important to get to the source of this issue and end animal agriculture, end animal use, rather than just trying to, um, yeah, reform it yeah, reform it in ways that never make a significant uh, difference on these issues. And I wanted to make one final point from this article um, we've been discussing, which is meat alternatives, China and COVID-19, a case of repeated history, question mark. They also mentioned that in the UK um, with BSE, which is mad cow disease, um, that it did lead to people avoiding meat for a time and even even in the long term it led to um, meat alternatives uh, vegan yeah vegan substitutes for meat etc um, being in supermarkets being a lot more accepted as like a normal thing for people to eat uh, well before other countries like the US because of that uh, but we'll only see these um, these positive impacts for um, animals and for human health um, such as um, people eating less animals etc if we actually talk about how this was created in the first place so again the importance of getting to the root of these causes and uh root of these issues and seeing why they're created as well but um i'll hand it over to Corey. um do you want to you mentioned you wanted to talk about one of the other uh, articles up there 
Yeah, well, just one more point on that because she didn't mention this, but I noticed in my research on the Vegan Society, which is the UK group, uh, they actually saw a spike, a huge spike in membership when those outbreaks happened in the 90s. And the other point here is that we people listening to this like, oh, well, you want to turn the world vegan. You have to get rid of factory farming, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's not possible. Oh, yes, it is. I think that this pandemic has showed us uh, without a doubt, if we want to stop something that is problematic, we can as a country, as a world, come together and make massive change really quickly. Sociologists are very interested in war for, for that reason. It's a crisis, it's a state of emergency, and you see major structural institutional change happening very, very, very quickly. So this is really evidence that if we want to take this seriously, if we take lives seriously, we can make those changes and we can make them quickly. We just have to coordinate and we have, honestly, I think this is one of those cases where it's not just our individual choices. Obviously, it's us up to us as individuals to self-isolate, those sorts of things. But it's also the responsibility of our governments and uh, transnational organizations in order to kind of hold us to that. So, for instance, if, say, the U.K. government looks at this research and says, oh, OK, so it is coming from you know the, our relationships with food animals. Maybe we will stop subsidizing or the EU will stop subsidizing meat and dairy. That would be an amazing way to do that. But I want us to also look at this in a positive light when we're talking about relationships with animals and our relationships with uh, the environment. If we want to, we can make that change and we can make it happen very quickly. It's just a matter of us uh, really taking it seriously as individuals, but also our governments taking it seriously. So I guess now that would be a good segue into the other article that I wanted to talk about. And that kind of um, this is going to build off of what we were discussing earlier um, but there is a kind of an older sociologist. She's, I think, in her, yeah, she's 66. She says in her article, um, Bonnie Berry, and she's been in academia for some time in sociology. And her article for this collection is called Resistance as an Instance of Evolution. And I will, I'll summarize it and then I'll give you my thoughts on it. But basically what she's saying is that she started out in gender studies back in the seventies, early eighties, and she, describes her the resistance that she experienced, uh, not just with gender studies, but also with race and ethnicity studies. And she says, OK, well, you know, if we're finding that there's a lot of resistance and it's discouraging, just kind of hang in there because over time we see that there is. And she, I think she even quotes um, Martin Luther King. Yeah. Martin Luther King says the arc of mor the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So it's kind of an inspiring, <laughs> you know, just hang in there and we'll get there. I think that's true to an extent. I can tell you as someone who I've been specialized, I'm 36 and I've been specializing in animals and, and society since I started my PhD in 2008. So yeah, however many years ago that was, 12 years ago. Um, <clears throat> but before that, I didn't even know about animals and society. I didn't know it was something you could take seriously. So I would say even in the past decade, we've seen extreme growth, but um, I, I think it's very telling when she chooses gender studies. And she, by the way, is no longer working for a university. She's working for um, an organization called Social Problems Research Group. So I think that she was still in academia um, herself. She might be a little bit more critical of this. So before I actually started here at the University of Kent, I was at Monmouth University, which is a private school in New Jersey. I was a director of gender studies there. And I was actually in a quite progressive um, program. So gender studies was underneath sociology and sociology was underneath political science. 
political science was kind of one of the big players in the university. Um, and I thought, you know, I'd jump on board with this and it'd just be kind of a fun way to coordinate more gender stuff on campus. But what I found out was that really they chose me as a younger academic to do this because they were basically throwing me under the bus because it was a position nobody else wanted, because it was a position that got a lot of resistance from uh, administration, from colleagues and whatnot. Um, I don't think that gender studies has really come that far. In fact, I think it's under attack and it's actually going backwards now. I think that gender studies saw its... um height in the 1990s maybe but now we're definitely seeing it here in the UK in the United States kind of uh, rolling back on those types of programs the reason why one of the reasons why we're on strike here in the UK is that uh, women and people of color are still not getting promoted uh, as they should be they there's a pay gap but also we're specifically at the University of Kent there's a uh, a, a redundancy program where they're trying to cut 300 jobs and who do you think whose who's jobs are going to be in danger? It's the people who are doing cultural studies, language studies, English, arts, history. Those types of things are under attack. Their jobs are going to be gone. So I don't think that we should be so naive to look to gender studies and race and culture studies and think, oh, look how they finally got to be taken seriously because they still are fighting in a lot of ways. It might be now vogue in sociology to talk about those topics, but when it comes push comes to shove, they're under attack in, in a lot of ways. I mean, some of the resistance I got in gen- gender studies at my last university was unreal. We had the, the, the monumental women's march, the monumental women's march in New York City. It was all across the world, but I was near New York City at the time. The university I was at was 45 minutes south of there. I wanted to take a bus of students up there to participate in this monumental historic march. And the chair of the political science department told me, no, we're not going to fund that. All I wanted was 500 bucks. They had 300, uh, sorry, $330,000 in funding for their programs. But because we're gender studies, it's like, nah, even though we were within his program, nah. Uh, I had multiple colleagues who would uh, come into my office and start to kind of push me to uh, justify their really problematic viewpoints on women and rape culture and these sorts of things, like the co- constant microaggressions. I mean, I could go on, but the point is we want to be very, very careful when we look to um, feminism and anti-racism, LGBT studies, and think, ah, well, that got taken seriously, so animals and society will be. I think this is a very good indication of uh, or evidence of intersectionality. Marginalized groups are going to continue to struggle to be taken seriously in academia. Why? Academia historically is a very privileged space for middle class white dudes, basically from the West. Yep, uh, and it's going to be yeah, and me and Adam are examples of that. I think that uh, as both in academia, but yeah, no, definitely, and obviously there's you know, ongoing struggles for all kinds of social justice issues within university and beyond. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd say yeah, animals probably has maybe got a lot further to go than those other issues in terms of being taken seriously. But yeah, again, there is a long way for all those different causes to, um, yeah, keep pushing and keep pushing for all of these social justice issues. Uh, I wanted to as well look at, and you've kind of touched on this a bit before in terms of that, that there are speciesism in terms of like human supremacy and, and why animal studies isn't taken seriously, et cetera. And one point from Bonnie Berry's article that, um, that particularly stuck out to me is that this idea of us as humans be concerned about COVID-19 because it affects humans. Um, but there was, uh, one case of, um, a, 
a tiger in Bronx, uh, New York Zoo, who um, attract attracted coronavirus um, through the zookeeper. Um, and they mentioned this was an example of, um, yeah, people admiring at least certain kinds of animals, those considered beautiful and exotic. Um, uh, but then they can contrasted that to, um, when if farm animals get, um, infected with COVID-19, um, this will be more likely to disturb people because they like to eat animals. And obviously we, you know, those people concerned about the tiger maybe aren't concerned enough or aren't aware enough to realize they shouldn't be kept in an animal prison, a zoo in the first place as well. Um, but this idea that some animals we care about, like even this sort of speciesism within um, within non-human animals as well, so overall human supremacy, but also certain animals we may view as important in their own right, and others are only important to the extent that it's going to end, what's going to affect us through consuming them or affect humans through consuming them. So I thought it was a really interesting example of that. Um, yeah, the two different forms of speciesism going on in, in this whole debate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go ahead, Adam. Sorry, and I just want to—I just want to go back to um, what Corey was saying about the like the difficulty that um, many um, sort of like gender studies and other other forms of social um, studies are having in in universities, and and that we shouldn't necessarily think it's going to be like if we just stick it out as as um, critical animal people that it'll it'll be taken seriously um i I feel like it's 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 part of that um instrumental epistemology of of education that we're that we're really universities are now about people getting jobs and careers and so we have to teach them things that are going to make them good for society and that that um many universities i think it's particularly a problem in the uk from some reading i've had recently that they are getting rid of certain sort of humanities or social science um uh degrees or or courses because they they don't see the real value that those sorts of degrees and that sort of knowledge has in in society because we're moving towards this educate uh, sorry this um sort of employment based um, career uh, employment based education system in higher ed um, but I, I on on the back of that I sort of wanted to ask Corey you've, you've obviously thought about this um, a bit and maybe some of the, um, the protests that you're going through are part of part of that larger conversation about higher education and how how crappy it's it's becoming <laughs> but um what do you see like how how can we um how can we work to to make animals and gender studies and and other other studies more um valued within our society and within our institutions do you think it's possible is there are there things that we can do huh. well one thing i can say from my experience um just at my university um, I'm in a, pro, a, a school called the School of Social Policy, Sociology, and Social Research, and we are the largest school. We get the most funding in that school, so we're a bit privileged in that way. Oh, wow. um, but <laughs> so the cool thing is like, another reason we're striking is because of precarious labor, and, of course, that's also when we're talking about precarious labor, who is that? People for low-income backgrounds, women, people of color, et cetera. So, but one of the cool things is that my my school tends to be quite critical and when we've gone on strike, most of us have gone on strike. And it's kind of that that being an ally for those who are more vulnerable 
And I'm out there on strike, not just for people in my own school, but for my friends who are in the humanities, whose jobs are on the line. Um, but then again, you look around who's out on the strike and you don't see any of the folks from business. You don't see many of the folks from law. And these are the people who go on to kind of man- manufacture business as usual politics in our, in our nation. So be an ally when you can, but I also think that we need to be putting more pressure on those, you know, people who are, you know, those are the more profitable, I guess, aspects of the university. It's, it's, it's at least in the United States, the business school kind of ran, <laughs> business schools always ran the university. That's where the money was. Um, outside of that, I think I'm kind of hinted at this, and this is where I'm going to get maybe a little bit of pushback and be a bit, be a bit radical, but uh, like I said, I think that when you enter these types of positions, for instance, right now I'm the chair of this section, the kind of socialization aspect of it where you kind of get bureaucratized and you have to, you know, watch what you say and blah, blah, blah. And I think really we need a little bit of leadership in that. We can't just keep going business as usual. We do need to say, look, this is a crisis. This is a crisis. Here we are, a section on animals in society, there will be nothing before or after, for a long time, I hope, that will be so critical to what we do. This is a window of opportunity. The entire world, for the in the history of the globe, of human society, the entire world is put, put down on lockdown. This is monumental, and it has everything to do with our relationship with other animals. We do not have time, the luxury, to sit back and say, oh, well, we'll see what happens. We need to, as academics and as activists, step forward and and be critical and say something. And so, I mean, I'll, a little bit of background. I put out that I put out my email, which I mentioned earlier, that's not on the website yet. I sent it out to the listserv, kind of as my unofficial kind of two cents on this. And I had a few people respond and say, "Thanks for saying that." But I had one person who wrote back and was like. In so many words, seemed like they were about to drop the section because I made this about veganism. And like I said, I can't speak on behalf of the section, but I can speak as a leader for the section that we do need to be thinking critically. We can't we can't sit around and play these politics. We can't sit around and bureaucratize. We have to start using. If you are in a position where you can influence, use that position. And don't water it down. Don't focus on uh, tigers and don't focus on factory farming. We need to get to the root of it. This is about veganism. We have to stop this. And this kind of gets back to a lot of my research. A lot of my research um, is very critical, as is Nick's, of the kind of nonprofit charity sector and how it really compromises our message. And it's for what reason? For fundraising reasons, for political reasons, for bureaucratic reasons, not for animal reasons. So now is the time that we need to be serious about this and say this is about veganism. This is about our core fundamental relationship with other animals. And it's not a time for politicking. It's not a time to worry about, well, what will our funders think? It's not a time to think about, well, what will our members think? This is a time for us to put those critical messages out there. And if people don't agree with it, they're welcome to respond. But we need to kind of step up. Maybe that's radical in me. You know, that gets me pushed back. But I think it's time that we need to be leaders. And and I'm not going to sit back and not talk about veganism at this point in history when the whole world is on standstill. Well, you're listening yeah, yeah. to. I, to, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and you're listening to three three CR Radical Radio, so it's the right place for it. But we're going to take a song, and then we'll um yeah finish up with a little intro after this song. So the next the song we're playing is Nightbird by Stevie Nicks, uh, chosen by Corey. Anything you want to say about this song, Corey? Uh, just that I love Stevie Nicks, and <laughs> mm. it's a song about birds. <laughs> 
If you are an Australian citizen, a permanent resident, or a recently accepted refugee or humanitarian entrant under the age of 65, you are able to apply for access to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. If you have met access requirements, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, also known as the NDIS, will help you access the government-funded supports you need. To find out more, visit the NDIS website or go to your nearest NDIS partner office and ask for a language interpreter to help you. NIDA and NDIA are sponsors of this radio station. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Radical Radio. We're joined by Corey Wren, who's been discussing coronavirus and animals and sociology and animals and how sociology can take uh, animal liberation and other forms of social justice more seriously. Um, we're just going to give a, a couple of plugs here in the final part. I wanted to mention, first of all, uh, virtual reality trivia for Lamb Care Australia. This is by Trivia for the Animals. So I just wanted to quickly mention this event. Um, they're a group that's actually um, raised money for our show in 3CR as part of our Radiothon, so I really appreciate that. And I think this is a, a good thing going. It's about the only thing in my social calendar at the moment, this trivia. So it's online trivia where they um, yeah, put out a video and then you just, you know, through whatever, Facebook or Zoom, whatever you're using, you can, you know, have a virtual trivia, have a table. So it's basically, it's, it's uh, next weekend. So basically Friday, 24th of April at 7 p.m. Um, you'll get the questions via video. Then you've got the weekend, Friday and Saturday, um, and a bit of Sunday to yeah get your answers together. And then Sunday night is when they announce the winners. So if you want to um, participate in this fund, uh, this trivia, uh, again a fundraiser for Lamb Care Australia, you can donate as much or as little as you like. You don't have to donate any particular amount, but yeah, you can make a donation and you can also. Yeah, do some trivia and and connect with friends and family that way too. Um, And I wanted to 
Yeah, also just hand it over to Corey in these last few minutes for anything that maybe we haven't asked he wanted to get to or yeah, any final thoughts or also any plugs for people to uh, look in more to your work or follow you on Twitter or anything like that. Yeah, so I guess I'll just do the plugs. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with my work, I, I basically have two research veins. I specialize in vegan feminist theory, but I also specialize in kind of a critical uh, approach to the animal rights movement. So I study political processes in the movement, um, and the influence of nonprofits and bureaucratization, neoliberalism, all that good stuff, good anti-capitalist critique. Uh, so if you're interested in following my work, I have lots of places online that you can do that. I have my website at CoreyLeeRen.com. I'm also sort of active on Twitter. Um, you can also find me on Instagram for a totally non-work related, just see me as a normal person. Lots of pictures of Guinness and cats. Uh, lately, it's pictures of um, medieval England on my lockdown jogs. And if you go to my website, you can subscribe to my newsletter. And I work really hard on that newsletter to get it out about four times a year. And it will include links to um, media appearances like this, like this podcast, new research, new blog posts, that good stuff. So if you want to follow me there, you're welcome to do so. Oh, yeah, Facebook. I'm, I post on Facebook every day as well. If you want to look me up as an author at Corey Lee Wren or Vegan Feminist Network. Great. And I also wanted to mention, we'll put a link up to the uh, compilation you've put together um, okay. of, uh, yeah, different sociologists looking at this connection between the coronavirus, COVID-19 and animals. And also, I did want to mention in that collection, there's also a picture of a dog. I thought that might be possibly a, a picture that could have, we could even use this for the episode, maybe, um, with acknowledgement, but that was from Shannon Waite. And that was quite a good mm. picture we could use, either that or Adam with his really massive glass, which only makes sense to the three us but it's a very impressive uh glass that adam has as well so that would also be a good photo for the episode i think but adam's not so happy about that um but yeah just to finish up um yeah reminder our show is uh sunday one till two every week and we're going to get there is this glass uh, but we're going to get back into it now um yeah from now on after taking a bit of time off you can also find all of our old shows at 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species connect with us info at freedom of species.org facebook twitter at of sorry at fos radio um and one thing i did want to also mention as well in terms of those who want to give feedback on on the show or just the 3cr in general if anyone is interested in putting out a message during this time um you can send a voicemail to 3cr so if you've got something you want to say about 3cr in general um, a radical vision for the future an inspiring thought for the day uh information on a current campaign your personal insight of the day whatever it is um as long as it's uh, less than one minute you can send your voicemail, just record it on your smartphone or laptop or whatever you've got, and email it to reception at 3cr.org.au. So reception at 3cr.org.au, and that will be played on the radio. So that's another way you can get in touch um, yeah, with, with the station more generally at this time. Um, next up is hopefully in psychedelia. I'm not sure if they're keeping on going or, or uh, taking a break, um, but either way, you'll generally hear in psychedelia after our show um, all issues around uh, drug use, drug policy, and those kind of discussions. Make sure you check that out um, and listen to their old shows uh, via the 3CR website as well. We're going to finish up with the song, another one chosen by Corey, uh, Songbird by Fleetwood Mac. Uh, anything you want to say about this song, Corey? Uh, I love Play with Mac, another song about birds. Great. Yep, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks, y'all. Okay. Yep. Thanks, Corey. Thanks. CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.